0: Thanks for tuning in. 99 for One is a podcast of real-life stories meant to inspire ordinary people to do extraordinary things that change our world. This podcast is owned and operated by Will Cravens, author of the book 99 for One and founder of the nonprofit Endurance Leadership. Now for today's podcast, here's Will Cravens.
1: Welcome back to 99 for One. This is episode 14. And today we're going to begin talking about Trip 5. Trip 5 honestly was... Packed with so many different interactions, exchanges on the hunt for Ed that I believe uh, there's no way we could cover it in one podcast. I I do want to get started, but just to lay the backdrop, uh, Sandra and I went in April when she was uh, pregnant, uh, five months pregnant, and we went and looked around and we talked about in the last podcast, we walked nine miles hunting for Ed, uh, really came up dry. However, that summer, Ed's mother and father uh, and his sister had actually taken a trip to San Diego. They had had an interaction with um, one of the homeless guys who who did some recon for them and said Ed had been sighted. He did a posting on a homeless Facebook page and uh, through through some resources found out that Ed had been sighted in an area called Mission Gorge. It's miles away from the coastline, but uh, it was... There were some fresh sightings and he had been seen and they told me that they hadn't found ed but they had met a guy by the name of israel who was very helpful living in a just a gully a a waterway down behind a a motel and so when we got out there on uh the fifth trip we decided right away we broke into different teams i had a guy uh, an old friend by the name of dave who calls whose nickname's gumby and another friend by the name of tom tom pounder and we the three of us broke up and immediately picked up uh, on the trail uh, of what uh, ed's mom and dad had found out and his sister diane and so we headed over to mission gorge in an uber and we went into a uh, there was a home depot parking lot and i remember when we walked in there there was a security guard and i asked the security guard who was there just to keep people some of the homeless and the uh, local workers who try to bother Patrons and ask him for work. Uh, He he just manages the people out there. And I showed him Ed's picture, and said, "Have you ever seen this guy?" And he said, uh, "Oh yeah, unmistakably. I I see him uh, walk through the parking lot." And this is the first solid lead we'd had in a while. And we asked the question, "Well, what you know? What does he do? What's his pattern? Where does he go?" And he said, "You know, he walks through the parking lot, and then he he ducks down through a fence in the back of the parking lot." that is, uh, leads to an area called the Mission Bed, and the area was Mission Gorge, but the Mission Bed is, or, or the River Bed is an area that um, he said was really populated by some dangerous homeless folks. We had talked previously to some police officers who said, do not go down there at all. But uh, at this point, I'm thinking, if that's where Ed sighted, then that's where we got to go. And I've got Gumby, who's a first-timer with me. And uh, Tom. So, it, it, Gumby, what do you remember about this? Like, you tell me your understanding, memory of walking into this area and how you were, th- what you were thinking, what you were feeling. What do you, what do you think?
0: I-, I was shocked that uh, a community of folks would live like that in an area like that. Your heart went out to these people, these folks who are homeless, that literally as you looked over uh, this shanty town, because part of it would flood and wash some of where these homeless folks would stay away. We encountered a guy at sort of the the gate to get in to this area. It was kind of a funnel that allowed you, allowed them to really see who was coming and going. This one guy, you know, stopped us as we were coming in and asked, you know, why we were there. Because we looked a little out of place.
1: This is, this is true. We were definitely out of place. Uh, nobody would be caught dead just walking back in there. How do you remember feeling, Tom?
2: I was a little nervous. I, there was a there was an air of excitement I had because I felt like we were making progress. We were going to go find Ed, and we were going to go discover this. I, like there was this excitement in me, that some bunch of butterflies. But there was also an air of oh my gosh, what are we getting ourselves into? And especially as we went a little bit deeper into it.
1: Correct, and and we did push back deep into it. We saw a guy, kind of a front gate, short guy. I think his name was, was his name Gumby Juan, and he had a little machete at his side, and he was definitely standing guard. We met Juan,
0: talked to him about our friend Ed we were looking for, and he was receptive at first, but a little hesitant to allow us in, and we boldly stepped forward and into this shanty town and began looking for our friend Ed. And at that point, this gentleman named Juan, who had met at the gate, comes back to us and says, "Look, you can't be here. Uh, this place is not safe for you guys." He asked us kindly to leave, referring to that there'd be there's someone else that's in charge. And he was more uh, number two. But there was a number one that really wasn't going to be very happy that we were there looking for a friend of ours. We asked if we could pray with him,
1: and we did. That's right, Gumby. I actually remember he said no, and then on just sort of a gut Reaction. I asked him, did he have any kids we could pray for, and he asked to pray for his daughter, and he totally warmed up, his whole demeanor changed, next thing, you know, I got my hand on his shoulder, the three of us are praying with Juan for his daughter, and after that, gosh, he just kind of chilled, and we walked to the right and pushed back further into this little shantytown area, uh, covered with different homeless guys and drug dealers and it, it was just a rough area, but I'm thinking if ed's back there, maybe we've got juan's permission let's get back there and uh you know s- see what gives what what do you remember Tom
2: to it and we started seeing the kind of the makeshift camp there and as we got a little bit in there, my excitement dwindled, <laughs> and my fear a little bit crept in about what who are these people that we're talking to? What if they pull a knife on us? What if they do something bad? Like we have nobody around us. It was just, it was just the three of us. Nobody knew we were back there. So as we were beginning to, as Will was beginning to just like talk with people uh, and I would kind of follow along, but also realizing, holy, holy crap, Really, what are we getting ourselves into? And, and I was really nervous at different times.
1: I do, I do remember if we, as we walked deeper into the riverbed that it was rough. And Juan circled around, saw us going back there and said, Stop, you guys. You cannot come back here. You guys will get killed back here. And he quickly sent us out and we, uh, you know, obliged and walked out back out into the uh, Home Depot parking lot.
2: Uh, unfortunately, we didn't find Ed back there, but again, Will did discover some stuff that was really interesting, and then we were going to come back to it, and there was a lot to process, but the sooner we got out of there, the, uh, the happier I was for me because, again, I was thinking this, we were a little bit safer, uh, but it was definitely very risky going back there. It was a, definitely a, a neat experience. Again, there was excitement, but also followed by the, uh, the kind of the fear of what's gonna happen, are we okay, are we safe there? Yes. We left the shantytown and walked out
0: of that riverbed, and it was, a, it was amazing to look back and think, there's folks down in there that are lost, that are hurting, and there's a hierarchy in who's in charge and how their whole structure of their community works.
1: Now, i'd have to agree with both of you it, it definitely had a little bit of a element of danger while we were down there and there was an educational element of there's how it works there's a bit of a hierarchy and uh, juan was very protective but you know honestly i couldn't let it go uh, as you said gumby i i thought i've got to have another plan and i didn't i don't know that it was brilliant i just prayed and said god what do we do to love these guys and uh, i hope i didn't offend juan by going back in deeper without his permission so Uh, After he'd kicked us out, I just prayed, God, what can we do to bless these guys? And so I kind of, the idea came to me, let's uh, bring them lunch. So I told the guys the next morning, we're going to bring them lunch. And uh, Gumby just happened to have some money on him, And so we went and bought uh, pizzas and had hot pizzas ready and some drinks, cold drinks. And we wandered back down in there in the uh, riverbed about lunchtime the following day behind Home Depot Mission Gorge. And Juan wasn't there, uh, but we we were ready to deliver some uh, pizza and uh, drinks. And uh, we we actually, at that time, uh, believe it or not, we met Israel. Um, Israel was the guy that uh, Ed's parents had met a couple months earlier uh, after Sandra and I left and that had tipped us off on coming back there. So here we meet Israel, and he's thrilled to receive some uh, pizzas from us.
0: It was radical love. They were so shocked. That we actually cared enough about them to deliver food to them in that location, radical love, they were
2: blown away.
1: What do you remember about that interaction, Tom?
2: When we had lunch with juan and israel that that was a really cool experience because I really felt like Israel was really open and really talkative and um it was it was I felt like there was a lot of positiveness that was happening there. And we were getting somewhere. Again, we were there trying to f- see if we could find Ed. We were also learning about them. And again, I just remember Israel being very open and the conversations were good. And then when, you know, th- this guy comes in and interrupts our time, okay, that's when the fear and anxiety <laughs> came back into it. Again, because we're back in the woods. There, Nobody knows we're there. It's not, I think, a really big path that a lot of people are walking maybe a few people walk there but I don't think it's a lot of regular people that are walking along this path that we were having lunch at and when we were here and the guy was angry and and very angry and I was clueless I had no idea what to do this was my first time ever going to San Diego I, um, and I did not want this to be my last time uh, there as well
1: this is true, Tom. We, we need to back up and fill in those pieces. Um, yeah, so while we were eating pizza with Juan in Israel, uh, a guy walked out. Um, guys just kind of ripped, no shirt on, tattoos, shaven bald head. He would have played a good gangster in a movie, um, that uh, a character that looked like he wanted to kill people and had experience doing it. But he interrupted our pizza and said, who the something are these people right here? And... Uh, Israel stuck up stuck up for us. If you guys remember, he actually said, uh, "Hey, man, don't give him a hard time." One of them, one of them's like a pastor, and uh, I, I do remember at that point the guy, uh, the character who's kind of the alpha of the group, uh, said, "I don't care if he's the effing pope. Uh, I'm going to kill them all if they don't leave immediately." Which at which point I remember thinking, uh, "Hey, you guys keep the pizzas. Enjoy. This, this has been fun." And Israel piped up again in our defense and said, "Hey man, those who those who aren't against us are for us." And he, I don't even know if he's quoting knew he's quoting the Bible, but I'm like, "Yeah, there you go." Israel picked up the pizza and like says, uh, if, "If you guys are gonna treat people like this, I'm gonna go eat with them over you know over there." And he walked with us to the edge of the uh, back of the fence on the border of the Home Depot parking lot, and. And that at that point it just became sort of an awkward. What's happening now? We sat down, finished pizza, and yeah, Israel was open. You, you remember that, Tom?
2: After this conversation, there, yeah, we still had more conversations than we could have with Israel, and we still had more conversations that we could have with other people.
1: That's true. We we had a great conversation with Israel over the pizza, but man, uh, I don't know if you guys recall, but Juan just got jittery, nervous. And kind of went back and forth between our little pizza uh, sitting and the alpha guy over at the uh, front gate. And he's running back and forth. And he finally stood up and said, you know, you guys, um, you could get killed here. You you need to leave. He's thinking about killing you guys. And for whatever reason, when we had prayed earlier that morning, I remember a a Bible verse came to my mind that they can't harm one hair on your head unless the Lord gives permission. Um, it was the idea. And it, I'm bald, so I don't know if that means anything. If you got no hairs, does that really protect you? I didn't know. But I do remember um, I felt emboldened that I stood up and, and pointed uh, towards Juan and said, hey, man, you can't harm one hair on our heads unless God gives you permission. So you need to relax. We're, we don't have any fear here. I guess I was just speaking for myself now that I heard from Tom later. But uh, actually, um, I, I believe that. And was trying to encourage the guy to say, you'd probably known fear your whole life, but you don't have to. It doesn't have to be that way. And um, trying to encourage him and, and not antagonize him, but uh, it, it was an intense uh, environment. Will had
2: been there before. And again, Will had this boldness that I was like, oh my gosh, what is he doing? What is he doing? As he was talking to this guy, I, again, I, I vaguely remember um, Will, in a, in not in a challenged negative way, but in just challenging him, and saying, "Listen, you can hurt us, but I know you're not going to hurt us. You know, I know that God is going to protect us and keep us safe." And he's talking to this guy. I'm like, "This guy's got he probably got a knife. He's got probably a gun. Anything could happen to him." And Will's like really talking to him. And I'm like, "Dude, I am like, if I if I could, I would have run away from that situation." But we didn't, and Will had a, a conversation with this guy, and again, it, it didn't lead us to finding Ed at that moment. It didn't lead us to anything particular. So I just, again, I of these experiences, I just remember a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety. I did not want to die. I did not want to get killed. I didn't know what we were stepping ourselves into. But again, it seemed like God was really protecting us that entire time, and Will spoke with a boldness. That and a confidence that God really was going to protect us. And I was, I felt secure in that, and I felt relieved in that, that God was protecting us no matter what was going on.
1: Well, thank you, Tom and Gumby. And uh, gosh, I don't know if you guys remember, but before we went into the uh, riverbed the second day, we did text a bunch of people. I think we texted like five, five or ten people each and said, get people praying why we go down in there. And when we came out uh, of the experience uh, back onto the uh, the back parking lot at Home Depot, I remember texting um, the people I'd prayed and said, thanks for praying, and things went well. We never told them what they were praying for. We just said it might be dangerous. Please pray. And I remember um, one lady said, well, I was praying, and God gave me a word. And I said, what was it? And she said, all I heard was um, whatever you two do, that, whatever you three did that— um, They couldn't harm one hair on your head unless the Lord gave them permission. Literally, I got chills. That was exactly what I had heard. That's what I spoke to Juan. I showed the text to Tom and uh, Gumby. I don't know if you guys remember, but man, it was just uh, something, as you said, Tom, like just to know. Sometimes, uh, you know, we ask our question every week, uh, what about you and me? Sometimes... um, Life is uh, puts us in a situation where there might be risk, there might be harm, and we just feel like it's the right thing to do for someone else's behalf. I've, I felt in this situation, um, I felt encouraged to do uh, something sort of drastic to A, try to get my friend Ed, but also B, um, to, uh, you know, let these guys know they're loved as well. You know, it's uh, who we love along the journey, not just the destination, so, um, I don't know who, you know, you have in your life you feel like you should go after, pursue, care for, and maybe you've heard, hey, that's dangerous, don't do it. And I'm not telling you you definitely should, but there's there's definitely situations in life where we got to ask the question, um, what risk is worth taking and for who? And uh, so, I know there's a, a verse in the Bible says, greater love has no man than this, and somebody would lay their life down for their friend, or at least... Put yourself in harm's way to love somebody and uh, demonstrates a different, I guess, level of love. So anyway, thanks again, Tom and Gumby. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, thanks for being with us this week on 99 for 1. Next week, more stories from the street from uh, Trip 5. Hope you can tune in then.
0: You've been listening to 99 for one, a podcast of real life stories meant to inspire ordinary people to do extraordinary things that change our world. This podcast is owned and operated by Will Cravens, author of the book 99 for one and founder of the nonprofit endurance leadership. Thanks for listening.